Hey, we're in the book of Genesis tonight. If you have a Bible, you want to open up to Genesis chapter 28 as we look at our message, Jacob alone with God. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Mark and Steve have a Bible. Raise your hand up. Keep it in the air. They'll get it to you. Once again, you're turning to Genesis chapter 28. As we are traveling through the scriptures, we are now going to uh, make a pretty significant change. The book of Genesis covers these patriarchs, Abraham, which is given a lot of press in the book of Genesis, then a very brief time with Isaac, and then a lot of time with Jacob, and then a lot of time with Joseph. And Jacob is this son that through him, he's going to have 12 sons that create uh, the, the nation of Israel, that they're going to go through this dynamic as we see the coming chapters and have 70 individuals that through a famine, they move down to Egypt and hang out with Joseph. They stay there for 400 years and they come out two to three million people. Imagine that in that period of time. How long does it take to build a nation from 70 people? 400 years to two to three million people. And then Moses is going to bring them out as we get to the book of Genesis, uh, Exodus. But as we look at Jacob alone, let's read verses one through five, and then we'll pray and we'll dive in and see what the Lord has for us tonight. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you, make he make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padam Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Father, we ask that your spirit would just open our eyes and our hearts, that we'd see wonderful things from your word tonight. And we pray that you would make your presence known to us by your spirit here this evening, not only in our service, but alone in the night, Lord, in our dreams, in our thoughts, as we're going to see you reveal yourself to Jacob. Lord, by your spirit and by your grace, do a work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Why is it that we have to be alone, either alone in our troubles with no way out, or alone physically. You know, you have silence and solitude. Silence, the absence from noise, and solitude, the absence from people. And most individuals don't like silence, and they don't like solitude to get alone. And yet we're going to see how the Lord just strips things away from Jacob so that he can talk to him personally. Recently, well, a few years ago anyway, a book came out that was a revised version of Winston Churchill's experience. A young man, he goes to war in South Africa, and as he's down there, it's called the Boer Wars, and he gets taken POW, he's prisoner of war. And he escapes, and in the night, he's all alone, and he not only has the soldiers that are trying to hunt him down, but you're in Africa, right? So there's lions and there's all kinds of creatures that want to eat you, nocturnal creatures. And he says, as a young man, escaped from a, a prisoner of war camp, he stood under a tree through the night 
and just prayed to God all night long. He's all alone. You don't hear a lot about Winston Churchill's faith, though he was a churchman, as they say in Great Britain and the Church of England, and he seemed to have some faith. But we find out even years later, when Billy Graham came to do the famous crusades in London, that Winston Churchill wanted to get him alone to talk about his relationship with God. So often, it's moments when you're alone. It's when you're isolated. There's, there's no hope or there's something that's going on in your life to separate you so that God can actually talk to you. Sometimes in the busyness of the noise of life, we're just not hearing from God. So much so that some of us, God talks best to us in our sleep. What does that say to us, about us? It means we're smarter when we sleep than when we're awake. That's not good news, right? If God's talking to you when you're asleep, but he can't talk to you or awake because we're such numbskulls, we're so thick spiritually. And that's what happens in Jacob's life. But it is the beginning of a relationship where God just continues to minister to Jacob in a radical way. Now we're just coming from a chapter where Jacob deceived his father Isaac. He acted like he was Esau. He even put goat skin on his arms and on the back of his neck because his brother Esau was so hairy. He knew his dad was going to touch him. And his mom came up with this basically Halloween costume so that he could rob his brother of the blessing. Now, they didn't need to steal, cheat, connive to have the promise that God gave to Isaac. I mean, to Rebekah when he was in the womb between Esau and Jacob that the younger will serve, the older will serve the younger. Because living by faith is, you don't have to scheme. You can just trust God and watch how he's gonna work it out. But Rebecca, she thought she would help God out. And we always get ourselves in trouble when we're trying to help God out. But it says that when Esau came in afterwards that Isaac trembled with rage. He was so torqued off at his wife and his son. When you're betrayed, by your sons, your daughters, your spouse, it's a hard thing to take. But how, do you, how do you move on from that? For some people, like the family drama is just too much. But we roll from that terrible story. Somehow Isaac, maybe his temperament's one of those uh, come easy, come good, you know, easy come, easy go. He's a guy that's laid back. He can let go of things easily because we go from that chapter right into a chapter where he's gonna bless the boy that just deceived him. Are you a person that can forgive people's failures? Are you a person that can let things go? Or as my daughter grew up saying, they're such a grudger. Are you a grudger? Do you hold on to stuff? Do you hold on to things against your husband? Do you hold on to things against your wife, your sons, your daughters? Can you send them out with a blessing? Look what happens here when he wants to send him out with this blessing in verse one. It says, Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. He took the initiative. It's not like, yeah, son, I just want you to go find this wife back from, you know, your mom's family where there's some decent folks that fear God and not marry one of the Canaanite idol worshiping chicks from the neighborhood like your brother has. I want you to marry well. But he doesn't do it in a past. He's very t intentional. He calls him and he blessed him and he charged him. It means he, he challenged him. You shall not, it says in verse one, take a wife 
from the daughters of Canaan. Isn't that great? You who are younger, you're of the marrying age, even when you're growing up. What did your mom and dad tell you? What, what did they teach you about marrying well? The three most important decisions of your life that I ask any young man, any young woman, when they're asking about, hey, you know, Pastor Rick, what do you think about my future? I'm graduating from high school or I'm getting out of college. I said, well, these are the three most important questions. You've got to answer these. And once you've answered these, the details are going to come together. But number one, are you going to choose to surrender your life to the Lord and walk with Jesus? Number two, who do you want to spend the rest of your life with, your spouse? Do you want to be married or do you want to be single? If you want to be carefree and just live a life of service to God, then it's better off for you not to be married because when you're married, you're going to have to focus on that relationship and give energy to that. But if you are not gifted to be single, meaning that, hey, you're wired for companionship as I am, I'm so thankful for my wife of 37 years, who are you gonna spend the rest of your life with in your marriage? That's a long haul, isn't it? 60 years, that's, that's a fur piece. <laughs> you better marry well. And parents are usually trying to encourage their sons and daughters. I recently was doing some consulting in another town at another church, and there was a, a, a fine young minister, but his, he had gotten tangled with a, a troubling relationship with a girl, and everybody around him was trying to give him some advice about this, this drama queen. And he just was not, he was not listening. But finally, there was a breakthrough. On my last trip, everything kind of fell apart with that. He's got a clear head and again. And what a blessing. You know, his parents are like, we dodged a bullet. Who are you going to bring home for Thanksgiving and Christmas this is a big deal, folks. And your parents care. And you go, yeah, but it's just about me. I taught my, my daughter when she was growing up. I said, when you're looking for a man, I mean, she's five, six years old. And she would be talking about getting married. I said, okay, what are we looking for, Jess? She's, he's got to love Jesus. He's got to love me. And he's got to be a hard worker and not a lazy bum. There you go. <laughs> That's the requirement right there. Love Jesus, love you, be a hard worker, not a lazy bum. If he's in his basement on his Nintendo, it's a deal breaker, okay? So Isaac is taking the initiative as a good dad. He says, hey, man. You shall not marry one of these Canaanite girls. They will lead your heart astray. I promise you, young godly men, young godly women in this room, that if you fall in love with somebody that does not love God, they will draw you away from God. You will not draw them to God. Missionary dating sucks, meaning you won't have any conversions. And if anybody's converted, you're going to be the one that's converted. And that is to that lower nature. You're going to be having, be having this struggle. So he sends him off, and then he gives him this blessing. He tells him what he wants him to do, but then he gives him this blessing. And what a great blessing. Moms, dads, have you learned to bless your kids? To hug them at night, give them a kiss when they're young, pray for God's blessing on their life. When they're older, you're just praying for God's blessing on their life. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. Don't you want your kids and your grandkids just to be fruitful and multiply, to be assembly of people, the blessing of Abraham, that God blessed Abraham so much, he blessed Isaac so much, and, and you're the recipient of that. Do you know that God shows mercy to a thousand generations of people that love him? It's like this cascading effect of, of blessing. I had no idea. My, my parents were both raised in the church, both turned away from walking with the Lord, and then raised a bunch of little pagans. That was us. 
Like we weren't in church, we knew, didn't talk about God, we didn't pray, we knew no Bible verses. We did, I mean, when, when, a few times when I was drugged to church, it was an, a strange environment to me. I don't know what to do in this place. And yet their, their parents and their grandparents, they all knew God. So it was like this generational thing. My great-grandmother came and while I was in my mother's womb, laid hands on me on my, in my mommy's tummy and prayed for the Spirit of the Lord to anoint me. And I didn't figure that out till I was like 19 years old after I came to Christ. Praise God for your moms and dads that love God, though they do it imperfectly. Praise God for grandparents that love God, though they do it imperfectly. And this kind of blessing is now cascading to the next generation. You're the next generation. You gotta hand off the baton of faith. And that's what he does here. And you're gonna inherit the land, in verse four it says, and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. What is that land? It's a little narrow strip, about 300 miles long, about 50 miles wide on the Mediterranean. It's called the land of Israel. And today there's a big movement of anti-Semitism and people that are supporting Hamas, a group of terrorists, when this promise was given in the book of Genesis to Abraham, reiterated to Isaac, reiterated to Jacob, and the people are now back in the land since uh, May 14, 1948. I want you to know that you cannot have a healthy biblical worldview without knowing God's promises to the people of Israel and the land of Israel. It's, it's a crazy thing to me how individuals can get so tripped up in this in this new generation that we see arising. And it's just going back to this anti-Semitism that we saw in Nazi Germany. We're only 80 years from that point, and yet they're shouting to be on college campuses across the country, on, on the courthouse steps, anti-Semitic hate towards the Jewish people. It's nothing new, it's just recycle it, right? It's the reusable hatred that just keeps cycling around. Well, then there's the brother's frustration because you see, if you're the brother that doesn't wanna walk with God and he has married the pagan wives, what's your perspective right here? We see Esau's, his brother's frustration. Verse six, Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge. He's listening to this whole thing. Here's his brother who wants nothing to do with God saying, you are not to take a wife from the daughters of Canaan because you see Esau has already married two of the daughters from Canaan. And Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Also, Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son and the sister of uh, Nabajoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. So Esau can never get it right. He, 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 came, he came out of the birth canal wanting nothing to do with God. He has no inclination that book of Hebrews describes him as a profane man, which means he's a person outside of the threshold of God. He, he wants nothing to do with it. He, he's outside of those things. And in that regard of his attitude and his heart, he's, he's mystified by Isaac's love for God, his grandfather Abraham's love for God, and his brother's uh, obedience to his father because he just doesn't get it. This is what he gets. Oh, 
Jacob's going to do what mom and dad said. Mom and dad don't like my two pagan wives because they're idol worshipers. So I think I'll go to Ishmael, which is the train wreck of Sarah and Abraham having a son, trying to help God out, which is he's not a part of the covenant people, though he is a relative. I think I'll get a wife there. So if I got three wives, none of them really walking with God, somehow I'm going to, three's a charm, right? If you're going to get married and have three wives and try to impress mom and dad, I just think it goes from bad to worse, <laughs> right? You have the, uh, the, they got some sister wife action going on. And God's heart from Genesis, from Genesis 2, and Jesus reiterating that in Matthew 9, God's plan is always for a husband and wife to get married and to spend their life together. That's God's plan. And it doesn't always go well. There can be a lot of failure, a lot of sin, a lot of shortcomings, but that's the goal. And if God's grace can help us get there, once again, you gotta marry well. Can't over stress that. You gotta marry well. I've, God's blessed me beyond my wildest dreams with my precious wife. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. So I call her good thing because she's the good thing, right? The Bible says houses and possessions come from fathers as an inheritance. But a prudent wife, a wise wife, is a gift from God. And so, amen, praise the Lord. You're gonna do well, that, that'll do you good tonight. Yes, yeah, she'll, she'll be happy about that, way to go. So we have the blessing of the father, we have the frustration or really just being mystified and befuddled as he always says about anything spiritually, Esau, and the rivalry or the wrestling match for the affection of the parents throughout their life. Now we go to Jacob having a revelation and meeting with God. Why is it that his big revelation, his heavy revy, is when he leaves the house? Now he's not a college student going off for his freshman year at USC. He's in his 70s and he's just leaving the house. Now he's gonna live to be 149, almost 150 years. So you know, he's about middle-aged. Never been married, he's a bachelor up until this point. Never been away from, gotta cut that apron strings of mommy, get away from his crazy brother. And now all alone in verse 10, we see the bombshell dream. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and he put it at his head and lay down in that place to sleep. So he's on his trip. He's got about a 450 mile journey. He's hiking. Now his grandfather, Isaac, I mean, uh, Abraham was filthy rich and he left everything to Isaac, his pop, who is filthy rich. And he leaves with a backpack. Jacob knew and Isaac knew what you should know is just because Isaac's rich doesn't mean his boy's rich. Do you understand that? So most kids don't understand that. So they grow up in this nice home. There's, you know, all their needs are met. And you got to go out on your own. Take your backpack. <laughs> we'll see how you do. Reading the stories about wealthy people and how they ruin their kids, it's crazy. Because people are designed to discover the development of character is through responsibility given and faithfully fulfilled. That's how characters develop. So if you don't have that, now Jacob's gonna get it. Now he was faithful at his home. He was trained up. 
We're going to find out he's a really good shepherd. He's uh, very good with livestock and various things. He's going to become crazy successful in his own right. But now he goes out. He's all by himself. He's got his backpack. He doesn't even have a pillow. So he gets a rock, puts it under his head, crashes out underneath the stars. In verse 12, then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth. And its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, and the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. In his dream, he has this dramatic, vivid dream. I've never had a great dream. I've had terrible dreams, scary dreams, stupid dreams, but I've never had a spiritual significant dream. And this is a spiritual significant dream. Maybe this is where the uh, stairway to heaven concept, you know, uh, who does that? Leonard Skinner. Maybe it was, uh, no, uh, thank you, Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. Maybe he's doing an acid trip reading the Bible or something. I don't know what he's doing. Anyway, he, he writes a song, Stairway to Heaven, but this is the image. It's, it's a ladder. It's not a stairway. But God is standing at the top of the ladder in his dream. And the ladder reaches from heaven to the earth. And angels are ascending and descending upon this ladder. In his dream world, he sees the reality of a spiritual world. He sees the reality of access into a heavenly relationship with God. Because God at the top of the ladder is talking to him in his dream. Now, that's pretty crazy. It's pretty radical. It's awesome to find out what's going on. Now, why is it, once again, he's got to be alone, away from home, he's in the dark. Maybe it was that rock pillow, I don't know, right? Hard, hard rock pillow. And, and this revelation that comes to him. Now, right now, tonight, you, you came here, and you may have in your mind where you came from at the certain moments, there's these these epic moments in your life that God talks to you if you're a Christian. And sometimes it's in time of crisis or a time of pressure or a time of anxiety or insecurity, fear or loneliness. And in these moments, God draws near. The Bible says that God is near to the brokenhearted. When we go through times of brokenness, God is nearer to you. And that desperation makes us open and longing actually for that spiritual realm. And I don't know what kind of uh, nighttime prayers have he said any when Jacob went to sleep. But God takes the initiative because God's going to embark. Do you know in every single relationship with God, God's always the initiator? If you love God, God initiated that. You go, oh, I found God. Well, God's never been lost to Dana's eternity. He's never been lost, right? He's the one that starts knocking on the door of your heart. The spirit of God, Jesus said, the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit is with you and he will be in you and then he's gonna come upon you. The work of God's Spirit's the one that's just knocking on the door of your heart. Hey man, why don't you pray? Why don't you seek God? Why don't you go to church? Why don't you read the Bible? 
and the, ver- the variety of ways in which God draws people into their own, this is a Bethel moment, the house of God moment, is, is really unique and really crazy. And I've shared with you multiple times, but just simply because we are sharing in this way, I just briefly, to reiterate from me, 19, I'm in trouble with the law, we, uh, me and some friends were high on coke and drunk and we beat up two guys really bad. One of the guys about lost his eye. So we were gonna go to court and uh, we were in trouble, but I had been in trouble with the law my whole life. And, and um, you know, so I have a little PTSD even to this day when I see a cop car. You know, it's like one of those reactions, like what's in the car? What, I, what, what illegal drugs in here? What, what's going on? What have I stolen? What, what's happening? And, and all of those dynamics were pushing me to this breaking point where I finally, I mean, I, God was coming after me. And this day when I went home half drunk and had made a couple of drug deals that day, God spoke to my heart in the quietness of my own house. I just left a, room, a bar full of friends. And God said, why don't you pray? And it was so tangible, out of my head, out of this whatever time-space continuum supernatural thing that God spoke to me, that I started to pray and then I fell on my knees and I just started sobbing. It was like the presence of God filled the room. I wasn't in a dream, I was wide awake. I hadn't been going to church, no Christians are preaching to me. I wasn't watching religious programming, I wasn't listening to Christian radio, I wasn't reading Bibles. God initiated a relationship with me. God broke into my world and spoke to me. And I had my grandparents that were praying for me. And so that surrender, that work of grace, that work of the spirit of how God reaches you and comes after you. And God, there's nothing in the Old Testament. Hello. You can listen to that Bible study later, Paul. I know. The preaching's bad, but it's all right. Okay. So... What brings us to that place is, is our acute rea- realization that God is real in that moment. God is real, and he's breaking into my world, and that's what's happening here for Jacob. God is real. In his dream, he senses this, and, he, and he, in his dream, he gives this incredible promise. He gives the blessing. Now, his dad just put a blessing on him which is such a blessing when parents can overlook all of our flaws because he had just, you know, pulled a real uh, shenanigan with deceiving his dad. But his dad still laid hands on him. His dad still blessed him. And he tells him, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And if you have a generational history with God, there's this beautiful thing that you can look at their lives and see what God has done. And he promises the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. And... He says, the real, the comfort for your heart here tonight, because I want you to know that this promise that we see in other passages is not just for Jacob in his dream. It's for you. It's for you and me. And that is, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Is there anywhere you can go? The guys, they were just doing our video announcements from Entebbe, Uganda, right? 
which they looked like it was a lot of fun. But you know that, five, that two and a half acres that what they were on was actually the killing field of, of the tyrant Idi Amin, who is the president of Uganda. And the day they dedicated the building there, there was a big tree there. The mayor, they had the mayor, who also was a Christian, they had the mayor come and pray for the dedication of the new church. And when he showed up, he was a, uh, in the administration of Idi Amin. And he said, if you got sideways with Idi Amin, he brought all the people here to this property and shot him in the back of the head and executed him. He said, this property that was the killing field to assassinate Idi Amin's enemies now is Bethel, house of God. It's like mind-blowing how God redeems this situation. And Craig didn't know that. Craig just, hey, here's a piece of ground, right? Let's, and it was covered, it, the two and a half acres, it was a dump. And the dump, it was like four or five feet deep in garbage. They had to clear the entire two and a half acres of garbage off the property because, before they could even do anything with it. And this promise that he gives to Jacob is that I will be with you and I will keep you wherever you go. If you're in Entebbe, Uganda, if I'm in <laughs> India in a living room with about 30 people with leprosy and just going, <laughs> God, please keep me. God, please protect me. As I got out of the van and I'm on this mission trip and this pastor goes, oh, we've, we've got an opportunity to go to this leper colony. And I'm like, no, wait, in my mind, I'm like going through the files. Leprosy, how do you get it? How is it contagious? I know it's called Hansen's. Like, you know, you're going through all this information because he's gonna put me there. And I said, and he stops the van and I said, wait, you just like a minute ago, you said, he goes, we're here. <laughs> and they open the van and I'm still asking questions because everywhere you go in India, you have to take off your flip-flops at the door out of respect because it's a cultural thing. And I said, you know, if they have a wound on their foot and it's on, you know, and I got cracks on my heels, I'm not, I'm not taking off my flip-flops. I'm trying to have this like speed conversation. And, and I'm talking as I, and I step out of the van like this and there's a guy with his back to me and I almost ran into him. And I thought, oh, it's a pastor that's, you know, he's gonna give us the tour. And he turns around and he's a guy with leprosy, like part of his face is gone. And, and he just throws his arms around me and gives me a big hug. And I just, I got out of the van asking questions. This guy turns around, he's got leprosy. And he throws his, and I go, well, I'm all in now. God bless you, brother, right? Like, you might as well, you just gotta go with it. Like, here we are. And then we go into this room and all these people and they have bandages and blood coming through their bandages on their feet and their different body parts. And in there, I'm like, oh, Jesus, I know you love the lepers. I know you cleanse the lepers. Jesus, you're the, I'm not the Messiah. Jesus, please protect me. I don't, I want my ear. I want my nose. I want my toes. And no matter where you go on the planet, God is with you on the college campus, at work. He's with you. He will keep you. And for him, this is a specific part of the promise. He says, I'll bring you back to this land. Now that promise was punctuated with a pause for 20 years. When was he gonna bring him back? He goes and develops his family and all of his wealth 450 miles away. And he has to come back with his family and all of his wealth after 20 years. When he comes back, he says this. He says, when I left, all I had was my staff, basically, a backpack and a staff. And now I come with this enormous blessing and prosperity. Everything that God promised him here, he fulfilled. 
And when he wakes up, he's so in awe, and he just, he boasts. There's nobody there to hear it but us. Fortunately, we have the writing of it. Verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Now, unfortunately, we don't get the full commentary on this incredible vision for 2,000 years. Because Jacob has this vision, well, 1,800 years. And then Jesus interprets what it was all about. When he meets Nathanael, you know the story in John chapter 1? Jesus finds Philip. Philip goes and finds Nathanael. Nathanael is under a fig tree. He's meditating. It appears that he's, he's quite a Bible student. It appears he's, he's probably studying the scriptures. And, and Philip tells him, hey, Nathanael, we found the Messiah. He goes, you have? Who's, who's the Messiah? He said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes, can any good thing come from Nazareth? I mean, it's an armpit. It's a, it's a hole. It's, it, it's a very a kind of backwater. Um, it's an embarrassing thing to say you're from Nazareth. And so he goes, well, I don't know. Come and see. So when he meets him, Jesus meets him. And Nathaniel walks up in John chapter 1. And he says, a man, Nathaniel, an Israelite in whom there's no guile. You're just a straight shooter, Nathaniel. Nathaniel looks around and goes, how do you know me? We've never met. And he goes, oh, before Philip found you underneath the fig tree, I saw you. Now, he's not in visual eyesight. Maybe he's a mile away. He's whatever. But Jesus prophetically saw Nathaniel under this tree while he's meditating on things. And Nathaniel's so blown away that he says that. He's like, oh, you, you, you must be the Messiah. And he goes, oh, are you impressed by that? He goes, you're going to see greater things than that, Nathaniel. You're going to see a ladder that stretches from heaven to earth and the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, on me. And Jesus takes that Bible story. And even We don't have this specific detail, but when Nathaniel was there, in my mind, putting these two stories together, I think Nathaniel's just thinking there, reading this story of Jacob and going, what's up with the ladder and the angels and up and down? And he's thinking about it. And then he meets Jesus and Jesus says, I'm, I'm the one. I, I'm the act, way of access. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the ladder so that you can have a relationship with God. And the angels are ascending and descending. They're, they're ministering. Do you know that according to Matthew chapter uh, 18, the, the principle of a guardian angel specifically for you is a accurate doctrinal concept. Jesus in teaching, he says, their angels, their angel always beholds the face of the Father, meaning that you have an angel that is ministering to you. They're ministering spirits to those who are heirs of salvation. What, are, what do angels do? They minister to you because you're an heir of salvation. You're going to be saved, and the angel some is working overtime in some of your lives. And when I get there, I'm going to have a talk with this angel, Right? There's a few times through my life that I felt like there was some kind of angelic intervention. Like, dude, were you there? Were you helping in that moment? I had this friend, we're coming down Pomerel from a ski mountain and it was really slick. And my friend and I were in high school and we were both drunk on this mountain and now we're driving down the hill and it's really slick. And, and I, he almost went off the side a couple of times. There's no guardrails. It's just like straight down. And I told him, dude, if you run us off here, if we don't die, I'm going to kill you. And I was like threatening and we're talking trash. And we come around this next corner and there's a truck with a trailer right in the middle of the road. 
so there's not room to go to the right or the left around them. They're right in the middle of the road. And so my friend locks them up, and we sail off the side of this mountain like this, and it's got a slope to it like this. And so as soon as, I don't have my seatbelt on, and so when I see we're going for the side, I reach under and I grab the bottom of my seat, but the first, you know, as soon as we launch over the side, I lose it, and I put my hand, you know, in a, because we're gonna go down like this, just in a reaction, and I didn't mean to, but I pinned my friend's, I caught his face, and I pinned it against the side window. So all the way down, I'm yelling at him, smashing his face against the window. And every time the truck, because of the, the steepness of the mountain and the, the snow and everything, if we would have rolled the momentum, we would have just went for hundreds of feet, very steep. And, but every time we started to roll, we would hit these little quakies, these little trees. And those trees would just, they'd pop the truck up just enough, and then we'd go past it, and then we'd hit a couple of more trees. And all, when I get to heaven, I'm... Dude, were you there just like watching this whole thing? Look, he's smashing his face. Leo, check this out. You know, what are angels doing in our life? The Bible says that angels earnestly desire to look into this thing called salvation. They just, they don't fully comprehend it. And yet in this passage, seeing that there's these angelic beings going up and down, there's not only demonic forces, we'll look at that tomorrow uh, in the our studies in the Gospel of Mark, there's also demonic spirits, but there's angelic spirits. And this is what Jacob sees going up and down the ladder. And Jesus tells Nathaniel that he is the ultimate ladder or stairway to heaven and access. And so Jacob now builds the easiest building project for a church in human history. Verse 18, then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set up a pillar, poured oil on top of it, and he called the name of it, this place Bethel, which means house of God. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. So this rock that was his pillow, he stands it upright, <laughs> pours a little oil. There we go. Church service. There's a sanctuary right there. Got a rock with some oil on it. This is the house. This is the house of God. You said he renames it from Luz, which means almond tree. And it's a place in which God did something special. Now, when God spoke to Moses through the burning bush and he told him, Moses, take off your sandals. Don't approach, take off your sandals for this is holy ground. What is holy ground? Holy means separated. There's that holy ground in that moment that God spoke to Moses was just, it was holy because here I'm meeting with you. We've se God separated this spot to meet with you. In a sense, tonight, this is holy ground. You guys are all wearing your shoes, it's okay. We're not contaminating anything. It's just a place set aside for God to talk to us. And that place is also in Jacob's mind, you know, from the, for the rest of his life, Bethel, this place. Anytime he went by there, he's pointing at it for the kids. This is where God talked to me. This is where God met me. And we have the, I have those places in my life that I was here when God talked to me. I was there when God did this. And this is how God ministered to me in this way. And it's good to remember those things. All through the scriptures, there's these memorial stones, which is to bring back and to call to remembrance. When the children of Israel came through the Jordan River, God told them to do two things that, the one seems uh, obvious. They take these big stones out of the river because God's dried up the river for the children of Israel to come into the land of Israel. And he, Joshua leads them across and, and they take these big stones and they set up a pile of 12 stones and they say, in the future, when you walk by there with your kids, your sons and daughters, they go, mom, dad, what's that pile of rocks about? Say, oh, that's, God, God, 
dried up the, uh, the Jordan River and we walked across here and then we conquered Jericho and then we conquered the rest of the land. And this is what God did. Here's these memorial stones. And then he says, take 12 stones in, in the river and pile them up. But you're like, well, as soon as the water goes, you're not even gonna see the, the water's just gonna go over the top of them. We can't see those stones. Do you realize there's this, this outward memorial, but there's also an inward that's like covered up by the river. Like there's something inside me you can't see. The testimony of the places and the work and, and the ministry of God to my heart and life, you'll never see those memorial stones. Those are inside of me. They're inside of you, what God has done in your life. Now we can share them with other people, talk about them to encourage people in their own faith. But Jacob here sets up this memorial stone and calls it the house of God, Bethel. A lot of churches named Bethel, they take this place, this thought of the, the first house of God in all the scriptures with an actual name. And we see Jacob's baby steps. Some people give Jacob a real hard time about this vow he's going to make here that it seems so conditional and it seems uh, so immature. But you know what? In those early days of faith, you got to start somewhere, right? Baby steps. You got to start somewhere. Some of you, when you came to the Lord in your early days, you made some really crazy, stupid vows. Any of you guys make those vows? And then you broke them all. I used to vow every single Sunday, oh God, oh God, I won't do that anymore when I was a young Christian because I was still struggling coming out of the world. I made so many promises. One Sunday, I was like, the Lord just ministered right. Would you stop making promises you can't keep? Like, I hear you, I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna just, just stop with the vows. Stop with your, your vows. He says, then... Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me. So notice, it, okay, God just promised me this pretty grandiose thing that he's gonna be with me and he's going to keep me and protect me and he's going to bring me back to the land even though it's 20 years later. And I wonder any time during that 20 years, he's like, when do I get to go back? I mean, it's time to go back. But he said, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up as a pillar, set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give you a tithe or a tenth to you. Okay, God, you, you keep your promise. Your presence is with me, you protect me, you feed me, you clothe me, you bring me back. I'll come back to this place, Bethel, and we're gonna find when he comes back, 20 years later, he does come to Bethel and, and worships the Lord. If you do that, Lord, then you're gonna be my God. Like if you're a God that can keep promises like this, then you're gonna be my God. Now, you and I, having all of the scriptures I know the promises of God and I know how God works and I've seen through the scriptures how he's worked in people's lives and I know people personally who God has worked in their lives and so it seems a, a, a little uh, immature to say, whoa, if God can come through. Do you realize if anybody's gonna fail in this relationship dynamic, it's not God? <laughs> the, uh, the, the failure guy's right here. <laughs> I'm first on the list. I'm the one that's gonna fail, not, not God. God has never, ever, this month, it's been 40 years since uh, this uh, messed up kid, 19, gave his life to Christ. And uh, the funny thing is, I shared with you that there was two guys that we beat up really bad. Well, one of them was actually the bass player in the Calvary Chapel worship team. 
And <laughs> because he was the manager of these apartments. And he went in the next day to the pastor and he had two black eyes. It's pretty jacked up. And his brother was in the hospital there trying to save his eye with a surgical procedure. And the pastor goes, man, what happened, Joe? And he goes, all oh, these, these uh, all my friends were bull riders. So these bull riders beat us up. And, and he goes, well, what do you want to do? How can I help you? He goes, well, I want to pray for their salvation, that these guys get saved. They can come to Christ. So he, he said, the Bible pray, says, pray for your enemies. So he prayed for me. Joe prayed for me. Six months later, I was saved and going to that church. God's, God's intervention in that way. And so how God works, and then when you surrender to him, his conditional uh, faith is that, okay, God, you promised all this. Let's see if you do it, and you'll be my God. And if you're my God, then I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that you blessed me with. Everything I pro you prospered me with, I'm going to give you a tithe. Abraham, in Genesis 14, is the first guy to give a tithe to the king and priest of uh, Salem, which is Jerusalem, uh, to uh, Melchizedek. And now we see Isaac doesn't give a tithe, but Jacob now promises to give a tithe. Where do we get this concept of a tenth of our income to honor the Lord with it? Abraham does it, Jacob does it. And then in the law for the Jew, it becomes a law. Now, many people today still teach the, the, the law of the tithe, but in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle speaks this way. He speaks in a different way in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says that um, just give with these three principles in mind, okay? Now, I think a tie is a great place. That's When I read the story of Abraham, I was a very young Christian. I knew nothing about, I had never even heard a preacher say tithe. I didn't even know the concept. And, and I'm like, oh, great. And I wanted to start tithing. And so my wife and I have practiced giving a tenth, a tithe throughout our 37-year uh, marriage. Even though when we were young Christians, uh, it was funny. Her parents told her, she didn't grow up in a, as a Christian, and I didn't grow up as a Christian, but her parents told her anybody that gives the church is stupid. So when she saw me write the first check, and our, our, you know, we just got married, and we're newlyweds, and I write a check, and she's like, what are you doing? And she didn't want to be married to a stupid husband. And, and I said, well, I'm giving the Lord a tithe. I mean, I just, and she's like, you can't do that. I said, well, why not? I can write. <laughs> and I made this money this week. And she goes, because you've got me to take care of now. <laughs> she, she was concerned I would be, I, I'm like, babe, I'm sure the Lord can take care of us. And this is the cool thing you find out, is God can do more with blessing my 90% to take care of us than I can do on my own with 100%. Once you figure that out by faith, Paul the Apostle says, just use these three principles. It's not a lot. I, sincere, I disagree with the preachers and those who try to lay this heavy trip on people uh, about a tithe. He says this. He says, realize, when you give, realize this principle. If you give sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. It's just like a farmer. If you sow a lot of seed in the field, a lot of seed, sow generously, you'll reap generously. If you sow more seed, what do you get? Larger crops. You get more blessing. And if you sow a little seed, you get less crops. So I just ask people, do you want to be super blessed or do you want to be a little bit blessed? And I always get this question. It's not a joke. People ask all the time, should I tithe on the net or the gross? And I simply say, do you want a, a gross blessing? Then go with the gross, right? Go with the gross blessing. That's what I would do. Anyway, so 
not only once you understand that principle, that principle is up to you. How blessed do you want to be? Give generously to experience that blessing. Or if you want to be a tightwad, I've had people literally want to break chains from the offering bag. They're bummed out. They had a $20 bill and they only wanted to give five, right? So, and I'm like, dude, just take your 20. I mean, it, because the Lord, the second principle is God loves a cheerful giver, so don't give grudgingly. Never give, that's why when people put pressure on you to give and you just feel like you have to grudgingly, there's no reward in it anyway, right? Just go, go to In-N-Out, man. Go spend your 20 bucks at In-N-Out because it's gonna be no good. God loves a cheerful giver. Literally, the Greek word's hilarious. <laughs> I gotta give to God. No, none of us do that. It would be funny if that happened. But that, if we had a big laughing service, right, when we're giving. But so if I understand sowing and reaping, how, how much do you wanna be blessed? That's how much you give. God loves a cheerful giver, so do it with joy. And he goes, as each one of you purposes in his heart. He doesn't say, now, if Paul wanted to implement on the Christian church 10%, he would have said, as you give your 10th. He says, no, as you purpose in your heart. You see, you can purpose in your heart. I think a tie is a great place to start. You can give more, you can give less. There's just less of a blessing there. And when you do that, you're, you're really set free. This is the thing about so many churches that harp on, have you ever been to a church that every single Sunday, they're just begging Oh, it's like, oh, right? It just drives you crazy. So when I come across a passage like this, I try to explain the principles so that you guys can do something with it and let God lead you. God will direct you. He'll show you what to do. And it's all up to you how blessed you want to be, honestly. Because once you realize that those who water shall be watered, that you can never outgive God, and you start actually, I, I just encourage you, if you ever want to do an adventure of faith, Commit and purpose in your heart what you're gonna to give to the Lord for over a year and then just watch what God does in your life. Watch the blessings that come, how they come. God's economy is different. It doesn't always come with, I gave this much and I got this check in the mail. No, it comes in different varieties how God does things and how he blows our minds. So I wonder, in some time in your life, if you've had this moment where truly you've awakened to the reality of the ladder to heaven through Jesus Christ. Are you saved? Have you surrendered your life to him? Do you know that he wants to be with you? He'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll keep you, which means protect you, be with you. He'll guide you where he wants you to go when you surrender to him. And that's the beauty of walking with the Lord so that you can actually just pray and trust that, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways and he's gonna direct your path because God wants to fulfill his will in your life. It's his heart to fulfill his will in your life. So all you have to do is be willing. Like, God, I don't know what you wanna do with me. I don't know where you want me to go. I don't know how you want me to serve. I don't know what gifts you've given me. But God, I want to be useful for you. I want to grow my relationship with you. I want you to be my God, and I want to be your servant. And when you do that, let me tell you, a Christian walking by faith is going to live the greatest adventure of faith of anybody around him. Because most people are not trusting God. They're living in their own logic and they're going through a very monotonous life because they're simply not walking by faith and just trusting what God wants to do. 
Jacob's on an adventure. It's an adventure of faith. The next time we're in Genesis, he gets him a wife, meets her at the watering hole, just like people today. Just meet him at the, where's the watering hole? Today, people either go to the, the watering hole of the house of the Lord, and they meet him in the young, you know, the adults group, or the watering hole of the bar. I promise you the two, the, the moral caliber of each of those are very different. My mom was married four times, and she met all of her boyfriends on a bar stool, and not one of them turned out very well. So with that, we'll conclude and pray. <laughs> Father, we ask that by your spirit, you would speak to us. Lord, you, you had to get Jacob away from home, away from his mom and dad, away from his brother, away from the comfort of everything that was familiar to him and on a camp out all alone at night with a rock for a pillow, you broke into his dreams and you spoke to him. And I just pray tonight specifically for divine revelation in our lives for each, each person here. I pray that you would break in in dreams or visions or promises from your word or people speaking into our hearts or you specifically speaking to us in ways that is very clear and articulate. Lord, we really long to have this deeper, intimate relationship with you to sense your presence with us, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Your keeping power to protect us. Your directing, guiding power, Lord, on our lives. So, Lord, we pray that you would draw each one of us in this willing place as soft vessels that you can mold and shape and fashion and direct according to your will and your plan. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.